want to uh, give you a bit of some statistics. Now that Christmas has passed, um, our consumer friends to the south in the U.S., they are now busy returning $70 billion worth of gifts that were given to them at Christmas time that they didn't want to keep. $70 And it's interesting. uh, The most returned gifts are fancy jewelry, olive oil, I don't understand that. And the, the, the next one is um, uh, anti-aging products. <laughs> Apparently, we don't like to be told uh, or assume that we're aging beyond our time. And so, no, I don't need anti-aging stuff. So that's one of the top things that's returned. And isn't that interesting that that's the way it is? Um, I'm getting older, and I don't need anti-aging products to tell me that I'm getting older. I just have to hang out with my grandkids from time to time, and I know I'm getting older. Anybody got grandkids that just run you ragged and you're, welcome, good to see you go, and that kind of thing. It's like we love them dearly, and and we know why God gave children to young parents with lots of energy. My wife had this bright idea that over Christmas, we would spend five days with uh, three of our grandkids. And because she says, you know, their parents need a break. They need to go off on a date and that kind of thing. So we're going to take them down to see her, her mom and dad in Yakima, Washington, which is a 14-hour drive, <laughs> one way, with three grandchildren in the back seat. Then you have to drive back <laughs> 14 hours. And, and so uh, we split that up in two days. But So after five days and two days on the road with... Um, uh, three of our grandkids, which were great. Uh, oldest granddaughter is seven, and her twin brothers, who are six. And, um, yeah, wow. And they, it, it sounded like they were just right behind me, and they actually were right, right there, you know. And so it took Debbie and I two days to recuperate from hanging out with our grandkids. We loved it dearly. It was a great trip, a lot of memories. But it's not easy keeping up with these little gaffers, these grandkids. It's just not easy. It's not even easy keeping up with our own kids. I remember when our youngest son was about three, three or four, we were sitting at the breakfast table, and my wife was, Debbie was here, and he was on the other side, and I put my arm around Debbie, and I pulled her, and I said, my wife. And uh, he looked up, and he grabbed her around the neck and pulled her to himself and said, my mommy. (laughs) And so I grabbed her back and said, my wife. And he pushed my arm off and said, my mummy. And so we were bantering back and forth at the breakfast table, and Debbie was taking it all in. This was wonderful. And then finally I said, oh, Bryce, you're just trying to get my goat. And his eyes got big, and he grabbed his mother's face in his chubby little hands, looked into her eyes and said, he just called you a goat. <laughs> and I said, no, I didn't. Yeah, you called mummy a goat. I said, no, it's a figure of speech. It, you don't, when you get older, you under, it's a figure. No, no, you called mommy a goat. I said, no, I, no, actually, I didn't. It's a fi-. And so I bested by a three-year-old. I couldn't get out of that one. And so it's hard keeping up, even with our own kids along the way. At the best of times, it's not easy keeping up with God. Because God is always out in front. He's always out there always leading us into this new future he's prepared for us. He's always on the move, calling us into this new place he wants us to be, into our future. He did that through scripture. God is always sending us into something new, always asking us to go where he's leading. 
God told Moses, Exodus 34.10, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God told Gideon, go on the strength you have in Judges 6 and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God told Isaiah, go and tell this people. Whom shall I send who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go. Jesus told the disciples, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. God told Paul, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. God is always out in front. He's always leading. He's always calling us to come follow him, and he's saying, go. So we want to be constantly aware of what God is calling us to and then to be good followers. And so how do we follow where God is leading? And particularly as we enter a new year, 2016, tell Derwin it's 2016, as we enter a new year, we have to take into consideration what are the opportunities there in, that are in front of us in this year? What are the possibilities that as we follow Jesus and open up our lives to his leadership and his calling, what is it that God is calling us into as individuals, as families, and as a congregation? What's the next thing that's on God's agenda for us as followers of Jesus? What does that look like? So question, what is important to keep in mind when following God? Well, we go to Isaiah chapter 43 for this. So Scroll in your apps or turn in your Bibles. Uh, we didn't he used to say that, but now we do. Um, chapter 14, verses through, through 21, and, and uh, we'll take time to, uh, to read that text of Scripture, Isaiah 43. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your king. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. So our text this morning from Isaiah 43 gives us a three-dimensional response in how to follow God and follow God as we enter a new year. Number one, there is a time to remember. There are times when God followers need to remember. Our culture and our church calendar are dotted with times of remembering. We have anniversaries. We have birthdays. Is everybody going to have a birthday in 2016? Is that Okay, so right, we got, we got that. You're, there's going to be a marked day on the calendar when you're going to celebrate, and it might have passed already. You might have been the New Year's baby. But um, anniversaries, birthdays, there's times on the Christian calendar like Christmas, um, Easter. In our culture, we have 
Thanksgiving. Um, we have uh, uh, Canada Day, Remembrance Day, all these days that are marked, and they are times of celebrating and remembering, and these days are intended to highlight something that has happened in the past. In the church and society, there are certain events and times which we commemorate best by remembering. And when we follow God, remembering can be a source of comfort and a source of encouragement. That's why we remember as we follow God, comfort and encouragement. In 586 B.C., the southern kingdom of Israel uh, was taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar and all the finest and best of the land uh, was taken back to Babylon as the spoils of war. And then as the decades drug on, the exile's shock turned to mourning and turned to despair. And so the language and the thought that began to come was they could no longer sing the praises of Yahweh. They began to ask, where is God? They began to say, why hasn't he answered our prayers? Has he abandoned us? What will become of us? That actually sounds familiar, doesn't it? Have you ever had that thought? God, where are you? It's like my prayers get no further than the ceiling. And we kind of say, yeah, um, I, 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 can, I can relate to that. You know, where is God in all this? Why doesn't he hear my prayer? This actually is familiar in our lives today from time to time. Well, our text in Isaiah speaks towards that time in a significant way. It's significant because this text is pre-exiled by 150 years. So it's something that Isaiah, God through Isaiah, is speaking to the people 100 years before, 150 years before it even happens. And he speaks of it as a done deal. You're gonna go into exile and you will be delivered. Now isn't that just how marvelous our great God is? As he speaks into our future, we see great encouragement and comfort from him as he speaks, as he speaks life and a future and a hope as a done deal in our future. That's how important it is to remember who God is. God's encouragement and deliverance were spoken of as a finished act 150 years before it even took place. So there are times when God followers need to remember. So speaking with authority into their future, the prophet brought a word of encouragement by reminding the then-to-be exiles to remember their salvation history. When you get to that point, when you're in despair, remember. Remember what? Well, verse 16 and 17. Remember how God saved you. Remember how he saved you. Remember how God called you out of the land of slavery. Remember how he made a way of escape for you through the Red Sea. Remember that? Do you remember how he drew Pharaoh's army into the sea and destroyed your enemies? Remember? Remember, Israel? Well, remember and take courage. In a second passage, Isaiah adds to the dimension of this spiritual discipline of remembering Not only remember how God saved you, but remember who God is. Move forward three chapters into Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10, where it says, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Remembering that God is God, and we're not, and there is no other, 
helps us with courage. Remembering that God knows the beginning from the end. His purposes will stand. He will do all he pleases. He sticks to his word. His plans, his promises are true. He will bring about his salvation and his righteousness. So there are times in following God that we need to remember who he is and how he saved us so that we can take courage. Not just comfort and encouragement, but courage. Why courage? Well, there are times when life just gets plain tough. It just gets hard. There's stuff that happens our way and comes our way and we need courage to go through it. And we, like the exiles, begin to say, well, where's God? Why doesn't he answer my prayer? Where is he in all of this? Where, where, is, he, where is he in this illness? Where is God in, in, in my pain? Where is he in my financial crisis? Where is he with my wayward child? Where is he in the chaos of my broken relationships? Where is God? And we're in this life stuff, and we're not alone. In Lamentations chapter three, Jeremiah the prophet found himself in this same state, and in fact, uh, was laying his situation at the feet of God. God, you did this. (laughs) You did this to me. So listen to his emotional outpour. This is Lamentations chapter three, one of the best chapters in the Bible. It's a lament. It starts this way. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he's turned my hand against me and again and again all day long. He's made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He's walled me in so I cannot escape. He's weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way (coughs) with blocks of stone. He's made my paths crooked like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path, mangled me, and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. He's filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He's broken my teeth with gravel. He's trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is, so I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I'd hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wanderings, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Jeremiah, are you you having a bad day? But we look at that and say, I can relate to that. That I've been there. I know what that's like. You're not alone, Jeremiah. You know, God, where are you? Why don't you answer my pleas for help? And we somehow seem to think that the sovereign God is to blame. But then Jeremiah does this amazing thing in verse 23. He turns this thing around. He comes to his senses as a follower of God, and he he began to remember who God was. He stops thinking with his feelings, and he starts thinking with his thinkings. And he says this amazing, powerful thing. He said, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. 
Great is your faithfulness. Powerful verse. Mercies, your compassion is new every morning. I remember as a kid, I'm this old. My mother used to bake bread once a week. Anybody whose mother used to bake bread? Yeah, okay, a few of you. I would wake up in the morning and I'd go, ah, that smells so good, the smell of fresh baked bread. Walk into a bakery, you know, sometimes I just walk in, don't buy anything, I just go, yeah, that's great, you know, and kind of walk out. That's That's a great stop, you know. At Safeway, I'll sniff at the bakery and then I'll move on. But it's just, and then the, for those of you who did that, did you go for the heel first? Like that, yeah, the heel was the best. I mean, we could talk about that all day long. But the, the smell of fresh break, baked bread in the morning. Well, we have the privilege of followers of Jesus to wake up every morning and breathe in the new compassions of Jesus for that day. We wake up and we go, ah, Jesus, a new day. Your compassions are new every morning. Therefore, therefore, I have hope. We see this in the heart of Asaph, the psalmist. He, he was a worship leader in, in, in the temple. He, he was a Lincoln, you know, in, in the temple. Verse, chapter 77 of Psalm, uh, Psalm 77, verses 7 to 12. Will the Lord reject forever? Here's another familiar theme. Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? And then it says, Selah, which means pause and think about that. Then he moves into verse 10. Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider your mighty deeds. Asaph found the same place as Jeremiah. Yet this I call to mind. To this I will appeal. So when you sit down in the exile of despair and hopelessness in your life circumstances and you're feeling distant from God, Maybe that's how you're feeling right now, I don't know. Feeling like everyone has ignored your pain. Maybe you're feeling misunderstood or, or maligned, maybe. Feeling like there's no way out of this situation. You're in fearing for your future. When life circumstances rob your courage and steal your hope and exile you to despair, the first response of a God follower is to remember. Remember who God is and how he saved you. He's the creator He's the sustainer of all that is. His track record is impeccable in your life. Impeccable. It's without error. And remember that even Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet he yielded himself to God's sovereign will only to uh, become that sacrifice for our sin by his death on the cross, to purchase our salvation. So remember that God's saving power and provision in the past is still available into the future. So um, that's the first response in following God, to remember who he is, how he saved you, and he will continue to do so. So remember God's faithfulness and take courage. There may be something that you're facing in the year coming up, 2016. It, It might be something that is going to require courage. And so remember who God is. 
in this time that you need courage. It may be that you're facing something that requires faithfulness over the long haul, that you've got to endure something. And remember that God's faithfulness and courage and comfort is there to help you over the long haul. It, it, that there may be some places where you're going to require uh, reliance on God's compassions in, in what you face. It may be that breathing in his compassion every morning is what sustains you and keeps you. Remembering. So whatever comes our way, it's important to keep in mind that as we follow God, there will be times we need to remember. Having said that, the prophet now throws a curveball, and uh, this is what he says. There are times when God followers need to forget. To forget. In a striking turnabout, verse 18, the prophet says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Well, which is it? Do remember or do we forget? What, what do we make of this? Are we to forget uh, God's acts of deliverance, creation, salvation? No. Obvious answer is no. So as we follow God, it's important to keep in mind that we remember who God is, how he saved us. He'll come to our aid. Uh, to remember brings encouragement. So what's he saying? Well, when Isaiah says, forget the former things, what he's saying is, don't tie God down to the past. Don't leave God in the realm of what used to be. Don't limit God to what he's done on your behalf as if he is powerless to do anything else, anything new, as if all his creative energy is all spent. The difference between Isaiah 46, 9, to remember, and Isaiah 43, verse 18, forget is remember who God is, how he's worked on your behalf, but forget about confining God to the same way of doing things on your behalf. Another way to say that is forget about leaning on nostalgia in moving forward. It's pretty hard to drive forward while you're looking in your rearview mirror. I've actually tried doing that. Uh, my wife wasn't with me, which was a good thing. But I thought, you know, I could drive this car. I could drive by looking in the rearview mirror. And, and, you know, if you just see the ditch on the one side, you compensate and go to the... Any of you guys ever have that thought about, am I the only one? <laughs> Okay, one of these days, you guys are going to come up with this thought. Maybe you could, but I'm out in the country, right? And so I can do that. And so, yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that on these streets. It's not, not healthy at all. So do not try this at home. But uh, no, it's really hard moving forward looking back. We just know that. It, it's really tough. Um, so one of the things that we need to focus on is that um, this whole idea of, well, God's always worked like this in my past. He'll always work on my behalf like this into my future. Well, not necessarily so. It might not be that way. There was only one flood. Then God said, I'm not gonna do that again. There's only one burning bush. There was only one parting of the Red Sea. All these acts of salvation, it was just one. And so, but verse 18 is not a call to absent-mindedness about God. Because we so easily forget. You know, there are times when I'll go from the kitchen down to the basement to get something, and when I get down there, I, I can't remember what I was down there for. Has that ever happened to anybody here? Yeah, okay. not you guys. Tell me, no. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness, it starts early. <coughs> I, so one time I was down there, and I'm thinking, uh, what am I down here for? 
And uh, <coughs> so I had to go back up to the kitchen to remember the thought. That helps. <coughs> and so that's just a lesson, right? It's a lesson. You can go back to where you have the thought. <coughs> so uh, I went downstairs, and I forgot what I was going down there for. That's two times in a row. So I went back upstairs again. And I'm going, <coughs> so I started muttering and mumbling the thing I was going down there for to remember, right? That's, that's what happens when you get, when you get old. <coughs> Bless your heart. Thank you for your honesty. It makes me feel much better. <laughs> Verse 18 is not a call to forget about who God is. It's not a call to absent-mindedness. It's an important statement of comparison and transition. It, hor- it forms this critical hinge between what God has done and what God will do that's different than what he's done before. He wants to do a new thing. Essentially, uh, what the prophet is saying is that which God has done in the past, as great as it was, will be eclipsed by an even greater act of deliverance. So think of it this way. Forgetting is the first necessary step in being open to what God will yet do for his people, for you as an individual and as a church too. To remember that. Don't put God in a box. That's what basically this text is saying. The people who were following Jesus on the day of his crucifixion didn't understand what God was up to with Jesus on the cross. But they got it. But they they didn't tie God down to the past. But those who were um, in the business of keeping God boxed up and tied to the past, like some of the scribes and Pharisees, were not able to discern what God was up to in Christ. And uh, they couldn't see it. They stayed stuck in the past. Sometimes we can see something happen right in front of our eyes and it doesn't transform us. The stunning events of Exodus 14... The sea parting, you're walking through, and, and you got walls of water, and you're being delivered, and then you come out the other side, and, and your enemies, and then, then the water collapses, and you experience this power and grace and deliverance, and yet you remain spiritually unchanged. Just a few days later, you're grumbling and complaining and whining. And oh my goodness, does that ever indict my heart? We can experience God's great grace and mercy and blessing and yet remain unchanged. That's a tragedy. So I have to be very aware of that in my own heart and life, that that doesn't happen, because it can happen. But to keep that from happening, we use the memory of God's providential care for us yesterday to encourage a bigger step of faith tomorrow. There are times in our lives when it seems as though God takes us in way over our head. I mean, over my head. I I don't don't know what to do with this. And it's a familiar place to a lot of us. And we remember, we remember that God let us in. He'll lead us through and he'll lead us out. And therefore, we follow God again into this new thing with confidence and hope. Paul caught this. He understood this. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So, followers of Jesus don't live in the past. We don't uh, plan on nostalgia, as nostalgia as the base. So when, uh, as, as we move forward, there are some things we need to remember, and uh, there's some things we need to forget. And so then the third thing to keep in mind is this. There is a time to actually look for the new thing. We remember, we forget, and we also look for the new thing. God says, see, I am doing a new thing. 
there are times when God followers need to look for the new thing and move forward. Look for the new thing God is up to and move into that which God is recreating. So let's bring up that picture. This is actually a picture of a footprint in uh, a field of snow on the top of Mount Indefatigable in Kananaskis country. And what you see is a wild mountain crocus growing up through about 18 inches of snow about to bloom. Little backstory: I was hiking with my hiking partner uh, up Mount Indefatigable, bad name for a mountain, but um, I was straining at the gills and wheezing, and, uh, and, and my hiking partner, is so, he, he's a nurse, and he walks everywhere, and he's in great shape. He just walks up and down mountains, and, and I'm not so, and so every once in a while, I'll pretend to, I want to stop and take a picture and just to catch my breath. <coughs> it's deception, but it works. Uh, so I stopped, and uh, I'm about to put my foot into this footprint, and I look down, and here's this flower about to bloom out of a snowbank. And I'm thinking, how amazing, how marvelous, how significant that is, this blooming flower in a footprint surrounded my, by snow. It was spring, but th that high up on the mountain, we were still in a snowfield. And that picture, the picture gave me the wonderful anticipation about the end of winter. It signals a new beginning, a new season of life, this new thing springing up in a place you wouldn't expect it. That's the kind of response God wants from his people as he leads us. Be aware of the new thing. You might just walk right past it. This new thing I'm trying to do, you might trample on it. Do you not perceive it? is his call to us. I'm doing a new thing, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And I think God's heart aches at our inability to see the new things he's up to from time to time. Something that uh, he wants to move us out of from our past, some new relevant way to connect with our neighbor, our community, something new God's asking of us and calling us to, and he's drawing us out of, maybe a new direction for the church, some new thing that does a body you need to go somewhere a bit different in 2016. This is this new thing springing up. Will you not be aware of it, God says, but sometimes we just sit there unaware, and that's an indictment on our heart. When I was a young preacher, uh, years ago, uh, I was laying on the couch Sunday afternoon watching a football game after I'd preached. Derwin doesn't lay on the couch and watch football after he preaches. He's, he's out visiting the sick, and, and he's out uh, praying for people, and, and he's... He, oh, he's... <laughs> watching, Lord. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, you know, give him a boost here. I'm laying there on the couch watching a football game. I'm a guy. I have a box. There's one thing in the box only, and it's the football game. And uh, so women's brains are different. They just like spaghetti. It just, everything, this idea flows to that idea and this goes to that and like five or six things going on at the same time and guys just have one thing in the box. What's that title? Men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti or something like that. It's true. I'm in a box. I'm watching football. My young son, three and a half years old, pushes on me, Daddy, I'm thirsty. I don't respond. I'm in my box. Pushes, Daddy, I need a drink. I'm watching the football game. I hear him, but I don't hear him. Can any guy relate to me at all? Is that, is, am I the only? Yeah, you can. Okay. 
No hands up, please. He pushes it. Daddy, I want a drink. So finally, he, I'm just watching the football. He walks to the end of the couch, climbs up on the couch, climbs up on my body, sits on my chest, grabs me by the lapel of my shirt, and he said, Daddy, read my lips. I want a drink. I'm going, whoa, dude, that's pretty funny. You got my attention out of that box, and I'll get you, some, I'll get you a drink. Um, I just totally unaware. Can't you see it? So I, I see Isaiah speaking to us in Christ, to our future in this text, and I see God grabbing his family by the lapel and urgently saying, I'm about to do a new thing. Can't you see it? I am raising up something new. It's about to blossom and bloom. Can't you see it? Will you not be aware of what I'm up to? Each event in the life of God's people had its own specific and new fingerprint of God when he did a new thing. The burning bush, parting of the Red Sea, deliverance of the Ten Commandments, on and on and and on. And when the fullness of time came, God did a new thing in the form of Jesus dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our salvation. See, salvation is the best new thing that God does around the world, and he does it on a regular basis every day. People being transformed, becoming new, coming to life in Christ. So one of the things to keep in mind when following God is to be on the lookout for the new thing he's up to and then be ready to move into it, to live with uh, with trust and, and obedience, to be on the lookout for what he's calling us into as we move into 2016. So God is always front, out front. He's always leading. He's always calling. He's always sending us. So what is important to keep in mind when following God? Well, there's a time to remember. Uh, there's a time to forget. And there's a time to look for the new thing as we move forward. So if you're going to follow God, you need to get ready for that new thing, what he has in store for you personally or in the life of your church. He's always out in front, always asking us to move and keep up with him. Sometimes it's not easy to keep up, and sometimes we fall behind. Sometimes we get feeling like Jeremiah and and Asaph, and sometimes we feel like this little girl on this picture here, um, just trying to keep up with her daddy as... uh, they're on the Oregon coast, you know, taking a little walk. And uh, we, we start feeling like Jeremiah or, or like Asaph. And, and we need God's gentle hand in our hand to help us along to the place where he's asking us to go. Being a God follower is an amazing journey. It's just a sweet journey. Amen? <clears throat> Amen. It's a journey filled with joy. It's the joy of remembering the great things he's done, and it's a journey of discovery of the new things that he's up to in our lives and in our world. So as we follow God into a new year, we need to remember that God followers remember who he is and what he's done. God followers forget about confining God to a box of past performances and nostalgic thinking. And God followers look for the new thing he's up to and move ahead with what he's planned. We pray for you. Lord, thank you for this body of believers. Hillside Community Church, thank you for the way that you've strategically placed them in their communities, in this community as a body, and as they live scattered from this time, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day of the week, as you've strategically placed them in places of work and, and school and places of play and activity, it's my prayer that you would help them to be people who are perceptive, 
to what your Holy Spirit is up to in their lives. So when you say, come, follow me, they would say, ah, I hear that. I'm aware. I get that. And I pray that this body of believers would come to this place where they're so attuned to listening to your spirit and depending upon your spirit in their journey that they would be this body of believers that would be known for their attentiveness to the things of God. That they would be known for God followers. That they would say, those people follow Jesus. And I pray that you would help them as they move forward into the things you've planned for them as individuals, as families, and as a body, that they would be powerful and effective in the kingdom of God in the coming year and into, your, into their future. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.